Hey, welcome to the Oplane Podcast, where we continue to explore different aspects of the aviation industry, as well as different sorts of interesting and eye-catching projects that involve airplanes. But first of all, a quick reminder that you can find all episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, on our website, that's allplane.tv. A double L P L A N E dot T V. Today's guest is a Siberian mathematician. She's engaged in a truly amazing project. Maria Karmanova has spent over a decade restoring a former Aeroflot Triple F TU-104 aircraft at an airfield near Novosibirsk in Siberia, Russia. Back in 2009, Maria found the Soviet-era aircraft in a derelict state at a local airfield, and since then she has made it her mission to bring it back to its original state. Although it might be little known in the West, the Tupolev 104, which entered service in the 1950s, has a place of honor in the history of aviation, since it was only the second jet airliner in the world to enter regular service. Some might even say it was the first successful jet airliner in the world, since the very first one, the British Comet, had to be retired from service quite early due to technical issues. The Tupolev 104 was actually a truly advanced aircraft for its time and served with, this, with distinction for several decades all over the former Soviet bloc. Today, we are going to hear from Maria how she and a team of volunteers have invested countless hours and efforts in the restoration of this aircraft, thoroughly researching every aspect of it and combing the internet in the search of original parts that they later put back in place. This is a huge undertaking that requires methodical work. It is currently advancing at good pace though, but I think it would be best if we hear this amazing story directly from her. Hello, Maria. How are you? Hello, Mikhail. I'm fine. Thanks. So you're in Novosibirsk or in Bersk, which is near Novosibirsk? No, I'm in Novosibirsk. I live in Novosibirsk, uh, but uh, I come to Bersk uh, each weekend, or almost uh-huh. each weekend, to okay. work on Tupoli 104. Yes, we're going to talk about this plane now, because it's a very, very interesting story. First of all, I think best is we start with an introduction about who you are. You are a mathematician uh, yes. by, by education and by, by profession. I mean, you, you work as a mathematician right now in uh, yes, yes. academia. You have even written quite a few scientific papers on uh, yes, uh, very... Many scientific papers. <laughs> on very... Yeah, on very elevated mathematical topics that I'm uh, completely beyond my uh, my understanding. But um, but yeah, so that's let's say your main job. But besides that, you have another interest or passion. I don't know if you can call it a work as well because you spend quite a lot of time with it. it and it's <laughs> aviation, and in particular, it's a restoration of an old Soviet airliner at Tupolev 104. You're going to tell, tell us more about this, this plane now. Uh, Novosibirsk, just for the audience, it's main city in Siberia, in Russia, and mm-hmm. it's how many miles from Moscow? It's quite far away. Novosibirsk uh, is about uh, 
2,800 kilometers from Moscow. And so, uh, Bersk is uh, relatively near Novosibirsk. It's only about 40 kilometers from Novosibirsk. You are, uh, just to give an idea of the uh, distances in Russia, you are uh, four time zones away from Moscow. And you are just in the middle of Siberia, so... Uh, <laughs> and in the middle of Russia. In the middle, yes, of, in Russia. The middle of Russia, true. So, yeah, Novosibirsk is a big city. It used to be, uh, well, it is a, a, a big uh, scientific city, right? So you have lots of universities. It's as well an aviation hub. There's like a, a seven airlines have a hub there. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and then there is... One of hubs, I think. So basically... You have been in aviation already for quite some time. I th you are you're a pilot as well, or you? Mm, no, but uh, I like to fly on the big simulators. Yes, and you also been in story. <laughs> some aviation tours as well. So you did the aviation tour of North Korea. Been flying uh, vintage planes in Europe, in in different places around the world. Yes, yes, I am trying to do so. <laughs> There are several uh, unusual aviation uh, tours that do not uh, look uh, like each other, mm -hmm. but uh, each of them is uh, remarkable in some sense uh, for me. So which, which so type of plane have you flown? Uh, like all Tupolevs, Illusions? Yes, all uh, Tupolevs, so Tupolev 134, Tupolev 154B2, Illusion 62, Illusion 76, Illusion 18, and uh, Illusion uh, 14. That's so cool. Illusion 14, I think uh, it's uh, one of uh, most unusual planes that I've been uh, on board. Uh, it was restored also by enthusiasts. And the second reason that is that uh, my first flight on Illusion 14 was uh, on an air show. Okay. So during that uh, short uh, flight, the plane bent uh, up to 60 or 70 degrees. And uh, it was impressive. Wow. The overload was uh, about two, and the camera became uh, very heavy in my arms. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post some references about these planes, some photos or some videos, so that people can get an idea of what these planes look like. So basically, it's because of you have this passion for aviation that you started this super big project that it's keeping you very busy now. It's the restoration of uh, Tupolev 104. I can explain shortly uh, how it appeared uh, on Birsk airfield. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's a good idea. You can, you can tell us a bit about this plane and about the sort of restoration project you are doing now. But first of all, short introduction, the Tupolev 104 was one of the first uh, jet airliners in the world we can say it was the first successful one because I think the only previous one that entered service was the Comet from mm -hmm. Great Britain that had a number of problems and had to be taken out of service very shortly after. But the Tupolev 104 was the first, first jet-powered airliner that actually had a successful career and, and went on to fly for many years in, uh, in the Soviet Union and mm -hmm. with other airlines of the former Soviet bloc. And the plane you are restoring now, it used to be an Aeroflot yes, to 104. Can you tell us a bit more about the Tupolev 104 and in particular this specific plane that you are restoring now? How mm -hmm. did you find it and how did you come up with this idea of bringing it back to the original state? I can say firstly a few words about uh, Tupolev uh, 104 in general. 
Of course, uh, it was a very bright plane, and uh, it uh, has uh, also remarkable history. On the one hand, uh, its history had uh, many new discoveries, new solutions, and achievements. And uh, although it, it started uh, flying more than 60 years ago, some equipment uh, on Tupolev 104 is the same as on some airplanes that fly today. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, some indicators on uh, Tupolev 134 or 154 are the same as on uh, Tupolev 104. For example, uh, vertical speed indicators, uh, some speed indicators, uh, mm -hmm. and some uh, navigational equipment uh, kind signs on some planes. <laughs> it was uh, installed on Tupolev 104. So can, can we say that Tupolev 104 was a very advanced for its time? Yes, yes, surely. It was uh, extremely advanced for its time. And uh, moreover, I can say that uh, although my plane uh, flew from uh, 1950s uh, to the, until the end of uh, 1970s, and of course its equipment uh, has been uh, modernized, I am trying to restore the condition of the cockpit uh, as close to the state of uh, the beginning on the career mm -hmm. as possible because uh, on that time uh, for sure that, that plane was uh, one of the uh, symbol of uh, scientific progress and uh, many people were impressed by it and uh, by the way recently when uh, some uh, young student pilots uh, came inside uh, the cockpit of uh, my Tupoli 104 one of them said uh, oh it looks like inside a spaceship <laughs> it was uh, quite funny <laughs> Yes, I can it imagine a... it. It's quite an impressive, an impressive sight. I mean, I, I have only seen it in pictures, like mm -hmm. the ones you sent me, because I must say here, I, I wrote an article about your project some time ago mm -hmm. for CNN, and mm -hmm. I'm going to post a yes, link. Yes, I remember. I'm going to post a link on the, on the show notes. But for those people that haven't read this article, can you tell us how this project started? There was this aircraft near Novosibirsk. How did you come up with this idea that something could be done with this airframe? And mm -hmm. how did you start to, uh, well, to get all these different parts and components, which I think you are sourcing online from all over the world? Yes, usually I buy them online. So my plane uh, flew in uh, several places. It was based in several places. So it started uh, its career in uh, Vnukovo. So it was uh, based in uh, Vnukovo from uh, 1958 until 1967. Yeah. In particular, just uh, Vnukovo in Moscow. Vnukovo is one of the airports in Moscow. So it's, it's yes, uh, yes. Uh, because maybe not not all the listeners are familiar with Moscow. Ah, I'm so, sorry. So Vnukovo is it's one of the one of the three major airports in Moscow. Yeah, yeah sorry, so, I interrupted you. So it was based in Moscow for uh, <laughs> uh, flying for Aeroflot. Yes, uh, yes. During all its career, it uh, flew for Aeroflot. So firstly, it flew from uh, Moscow to Vnukovo. In particular, it, it flew abroad. And uh, I saw many pictures uh, in the internet taken uh, in London, Heathrow and uh, Amsterdam. So the tail number was written in huge letters. So it was uh, definitely my plane. You can track it. During that period, uh, its cabin consisted of uh, two classes. There was uh, a first class with sofas and uh, swivel chairs, and a touristic class with a two plus two layout in the cabin. Later, from uh, 1967 until 1977, it flew from uh, St. Petersburg, Polkovo, 
but at that time the name of St. Petersburg was Leningrad and name was of Pulkova was Shasene. St. Petersburg Airport, still the code of the airport is still Leningrad, still LED, yes. Leningrad, so yes, yes. <laughs> hasn't changed. Yes, but uh, the name of um, the airport, now the name of the airport is Pulkovo, but at yeah. that time uh, the name was Shasene, mm -hmm. not Pulkovo. Yes, and the airport, Pulkovo airport has changed a lot as well, I mean, if you fly there, yes, it's very modern, <laughs> extremely modern airport now, yeah. Yes, yes. Also, this plane was involved in flights in Ulyanovsk School of Civil Aviation. And uh, during that period, the layout of the cabin was changed to one class with a two plus three seat in each row. So there were two seats on the left-hand side and uh, three seats on the right-hand side. How many people in total? About uh, 115. Yes, uh, During uh, its flights from Moscow, it uh, could take uh, about 70 passengers, but later the number of seats uh, increased. Okay. And uh, the plane uh, got to Novosibirsk Tolmachevo Aviation Unit only in 1977. It uh, had been uh, in Tolmachevo only for one year. And that's when it got uh, retired. Yes, and uh, the story of uh, how it appeared in Vers is uh, quite unusual. Many people <laughs> asked me whether it was uh, some kind of emergency landing, or did anything uh, happen? Because Verx, actually, we must say it's sir? not it's not a commercial airport. It's more of an air, uh, local airfield. So it's not yes, a, it's one of local airfields for light aircrafts. Mm -hmm. It also it is also from a military airfield. So you wouldn't expect not an aeroflot plane to end up there, in principle. <laughs> yes, it was uh, quite an interesting story. Mm -hmm. In the middle of nineteen seventies, one scientist from the Institute of Theoretical and Applied Mechanics. His name was uh, Valery Ritsarev. He was an aviation enthusiast also, and he began to revive a glider club. And uh, he chose uh, Bersk Airfield as the base for this uh, glider club. And together with this, uh, he founded a school for young glider pilots for teenagers. And uh, in that period, uh, so in, it was the second half of 1970s, Many uh, Tupolev uh, 104 planes uh, became written off and some of them uh, began uh, being used by uh, as uh, monuments, cafes and small cinemas and etc. And uh, Ritsarev got the idea that uh, Tupolev 104 would be perfect for a glider school, both as a class for children and for preserving aviation history. But it's just as an airframe that would be on the ground, so it, it wouldn't be flying, it would be static. Mm, yes, he decided uh, to make it yes, as a st static moment. And uh, to solve these uh, questions, all questions, he came to Ministry of Civil Aviation in Moscow and he managed to approve the plan to arrange a flight of Tupoli 104 from Tolmachevo to Bersk. Also, a crew of uh, pilots uh, who learned to fly at the Bersk airfields uh, was found. So, since uh, Bersk airfield uh, was uh, an airfield also for student pilots, it was not a uh, very uh, hard task, I think. And uh, before the flight from Tomachevo to Bersk on Topoli 104, this crew flew around this airfield on uh, a light aircraft just to decide how to approach. Also, the soil on the runway was measured with a hardness tester 
And then on the morning of 27th of June 1978, our Tupolev 104 flew from Tolmachevo to The flight uh, took about eight minutes. Eight minutes, huh? <laughs> Less than eight minutes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're very close by. The aircraft then, it was the last flight, so it stayed there. Yes, it was the last flight of the air aircraft. It was also last flight of uh, the crew of the aircraft. Okay. So after the flight, they also became uh, retired. Because the Aeroflot, when Aeroflot re replaced the two 104s, the replacement, I guess, was the two 134. I think it depended uh, on uh, routes. On okay. uh, some uh, longer routes, uh, it was it was replaced by a Tupoli 154. Mm -hmm. On some, by Tupoli 134, on short ones. On the base of Tupoli 104, Tupoli uh, created uh, Tupoli 124. It was a small copy of uh, Tupoli 104. If I remember correctly, it, it was uh, quite smaller than Tupoli 104. And then on the base on uh, Tupoli 124, they created uh, Tupoli 134 aircraft. Of which so there I are... guess that uh, most of airframe is uh, the same as on Tupoli 124. But of course, uh, there are some essential differences. Still some 134s flying? Yes, yes, surely. Yes, I remember I but tracked some of them. A few years ago, I also did an article on the vintage planes, the planes that are uh, now approaching the end of operational life. And I remember there were still some 134s active. I think some in North Korea. In Russia, there were still some, but very few. I, but I think they were not in normal service. I, at that time, I'm talking about maybe a few years ago. Huh? In some other countries, there were still some, but very, very few that are taking passengers. But yes, anyway, in Russia, there are a yeah. few Topoli 134. Mm -hmm. Even uh, there are some planes, uh, Topoli 134A with glass nose. Mm -hmm. And uh, last year, by the way, one aviation tour was organized on a Tupoli 134A of a company Cosmos. So you have a glass nose, so you can see the, the terrain, under, you can see what's under the plane from, from the, yes, yes. the glass. That's cool. It's a bit like a, yes. like a Second World War bomber, sort of, mm -hmm, kind of navigator. <laughs> mm -hmm. So basically, there at Bersk, there was this glider club. What happened between this 1978 and then the moment, I don't know which year was that, when you found this plane and decided to restore it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so for, for the first time, uh, that plane uh, had been uh, a class for young glider pilots. Also, I heard that uh, it, was, uh, it also was used as a cafe for young glider pilots. But unfortunately, in the 1990s, there were hard times uh, for the whole country. And probably uh, there were no flights uh, on glider club. So probably there were no glider club at all. Uh, and uh, Topoli 104 was also unlucky at that time. So the cockpit, cockpit uh, was almost completely destroyed. And equipment uh, was stolen or broken. And uh, no seats uh, were left in the cabin. And uh, I can estimate that uh, only about 5% of all cockpit equipment survived that time. Only 5%? Wow. I think, yes, uh, only a few indicators. Because uh, when I came to the cockpit uh, of Tupoli 104 in 2009, so most of equipment uh, was absent. 
Yeah. And uh, the items that were present in the cockpit, they were broken, most of them. It was uh, quite a sad view. And when do you come into this story? What happened? I mean, you just found this aircraft, you heard about it. Tell us. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I can say that uh, I became uh, interested uh, in the plane in the beginning of uh, 2000s when I started to fly to international conferences. So the way to conference places uh, was, uh, is usually quite uh, long. So it consisted of uh, several uh, flights, first from Moscow, then from Moscow to European countries, for example. And uh, usually I chose a seat near wings, and it was always exciting for me to see how flaps work. And uh, of course, my, it was my dream to visit cockpit. But nowadays it's almost impossible. And 11 years ago, in 2009, I learned from internet and from friends that uh, there was a, a real uh, airplane, Topoli 104, at Bersk Airfield. And uh, I decided to go there and visit the aircraft. So that day I was lucky, since one of the instructors of the air, air club showed me the plane and allowed me to take uh, many pictures. And I can say that uh, this meeting with the plane was uh, one of the main events of that year for me. But nevertheless, as I said earlier, I was uh, very upset by the condition of the plane in particular, in particular, of the cockpit, and so I concluded that this aircraft, I concluded that this aircraft uh, deserved to be in much better state than uh, the one uh, he was in, and I decided to restore it uh, as good as possible. <laughs> so, what did you do? I mean, there is this plane there. It, it was not your plane, or you didn't know who the owner was, I guess. Uh, yes, so, what what uh, were your next steps? So, you said, well, <laughs> I want to make bring this plane back to the original state? Of course, it's uh, my dream to get this plane back to the original state. <laughs> and uh, I'm doing the best I could <laughs> in this direction. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course, you're you right. Uh, it was uh, quite uh, hard to agree with the administration of the airfield and on the flying club to, to make them uh, to allow me to restore the aircraft. So for the first time, they could not understand why should I do it and uh, why I want why I wanted uh, to restore the aircraft. But nevertheless, they at last allowed me to do something with the aircraft, something good, to find equipment, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, moreover, instructors from the air club they advised me a place. They where I can find uh, where I can find some uh, former pilots of Topoli 104 who can uh, share with me some literature. So you went to meet the people that were flying on that plane. Yes. Yeah, okay. So I met a few former pilots. So mm -hmm. one of them mm -hmm. uh, gave me flight manual, so I copied it, and uh, he also shared uh, contacts of his uh, colleagues. And uh, one of them. He was a former flight engineer. He gave me a few technical manuals. How many people did uh, operate the two, uh, two 104? How many people in the crew? Uh, for the first time, uh, there were five uh, in the cockpit of Topoli 104. So there were captain, a first officer, navigator, flight engineer, and radio operator. 
Wow, that's <laughs> quite a big group yes. for, uh, for the size of the plane, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, the uh, cockpit is uh, quite big. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the day is uh, when uh, flights of uh, young glider students are arranged. They usually visit the uh, cockpit of uh, Topoli 104 mm -hmm. during, mm -hmm. for example, during, during uh, breaks. And I can say that there are about 15 people at the same moment in the cockpit because they are too much excited. They cannot mm -hmm. wait. Although yeah. I advise them, I advise them uh, to go by groups consisted of uh, three or four people just uh, to have opportunities uh, to take uh, some good pictures. No, they decide to go by crowd. <laughs> when were you able to get uh, hands-on on your work, your restoration work? What, what happened next? So mm -hmm. you, you, had, so, you had got this information, this manual, so you, you were starting to get an idea of what the plane looked like? Yes, yeah, so firstly I studied uh, information from manuals. I started from studying how panels, started with studying of structure of panels, mm -hmm. of files, of navigator. But uh, although I had some technical manuals with a description of these panels, the main difficulty was that uh, these manuals were written in the 1950s, but the plane uh, had been modernized and uh, of course, uh, it uh, didn't coincide uh, completely so with uh, a, the that was in the books. It had a mid-life upgrade. Yes, because the uh, differences uh, were not uh, very much essential. There were slight differences. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, I had to think what uh, equipment I should find. It was uh, clear from the technical manual about uh, most part of equipment. But uh, there were moments uh, that uh, I could, uh, that uh, I uh, had to think about. Your goal is to restore it to the original 1950s configuration. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. I tried to bring it to 1950s state as close mm -hmm. as possible. Of course, uh, I doubt that uh, I'll manage to bring it uh, completely to the state of 1950s, but maybe to the beginning, I'll bring it to the state of beginning of 1960s. I think uh, it's also, it would be also not bad. Also, I want to show some uh, peculiarities of uh, structure of equipment of Topoli 104. For example, uh, during some time, it was uh, from the end of 1950s, I think, uh, and in the beginning of 1960s, there were two horizon indicators on the panel of uh, Captain with uh, different uh, pitch indications. So the main one showed the indication view from the airplane to Earth, and the other one showed the indication of view from Earth to the airplane by pitch. It was also quite unusual. Can we say that most of your work is focused on the cockpit now, but you, you are also looking at other parts of the aircraft? So yes. you also put in some seeds there, right? And yes, yeah. yes. I also want to restore its cabin. Of course, uh, but, uh, but the main uh, part of my attention is focused on uh, cockpit. And the instruments. Oh, yes, and the instrument. Yes, uh, by the way, uh, one of our enthusiasts is uh, now making a power supply. So we want the equipment to uh, get it uh, back to life. And sure. I think it would be very interesting to see how it works. 
Yes, that indeed. Who is the nearest? Is one of nearest goals to bring the equipment to life. But I also we are working on cabin. So uh, three years ago, I found uh, ten original seats from mm -hmm. this aircraft. Also, one of my colleagues sent me two seats of the 1950s era from Moscow. Here, all the seats were restored because their uh -huh. state uh, was not very good. And now they are installed in the first part of the cabin. We're going to speak now about, about how, you, how you get all these different pieces from, from different parts of the, of the country and, and of the world. But first of all, one question. When you said you're going to bring back all these instruments, are they going to work because you connect them to some electrical current? We are going to connect them, but mm -hmm. um, it's too early to talk about it. Okay. So I, supply I, I suggest... No. I suggest we go back to 2009, I think, when you mm -hmm. got started. So you had these conversations with the administration of the, of the club, uh, mm -hmm. where the airplane is located. You managed to locate the, the crew that gave you some manuals and some, some uh, basic information so that you can uh, get a blueprint of what needs to be done. So when you, let's say, you start to, to work on the plane, what okay. happened and how did this happen? Do you mean uh, about the beginning of my working with the plane? Or? Yes, yes. I mean, when did you start your hands-on work on the plane? At the beginning, it was just only you, right? Uh, now you have, yes. if I understood, you have a, a team of volunteers that are helping you? Yes, there, there is a team of, uh, a small team of uh, volunteers that, that help me. But uh -huh. uh, yes, you're right. Uh, when I started this project, I was alone. I started with uh, studying the literature. So my first task was to understand what is missing, what I have. The next task was to find the absent equipment. By the way, I can say that uh, specifics of uh, my main work helped me a bit because, uh, as I said, that uh, some since some equipment uh, had been uh, modernized and I had to look for some new, relatively new equipment, it was, I mean, now, of course, it was not new, but uh, in comparison with the equipment of the 1950s, uh, <laughs> it was new. I had to study some uh, equipment that uh, already was in the cockpit, and uh, I had to read some literature, which uh, other equipment is uh, works together with the existing one. And uh, finally, I had... Uh, more or less uh, complete uh, list of equipment that uh, I have to look for. And you started looking for this in the internet? So. In, uh, yes, in the internet. Uh, so um, I started uh, to look in some uh, websites made for aviation enthusiasts and uh, I found some uh, one and uh, one or two main websites where I began to study all of the topics. Who can uh, sell <laughs> and uh, who can sell me equipment? And in Russian websites, that was. In oh Russia. yes, Russian, Russian websites. It was a Russian website. Yes. So some people uh, come to this website and uh, make announcements of uh, that they sell some equipment, mm -hmm. and uh, people write to them and uh, buy this equipment. Wow, I'm quite amazed that you can go online and and, and find parts and components of a, a Soviet airplane from 60, 70 years ago online. That's, <laughs> yes. that's crazy. I mean, it's like people have this at home or 
I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yes, quadrants <laughs> but uh, besides uh, this uh, specialized websites made for mm -hmm. aviation enthusiasts, I also looked for some uh, websites, uh, some uh, widely known websites such as eBay, for example. Mm -hmm. For example, I found uh, two radio stations on eBay. I looked for radio stations uh, that uh, were used uh, in 1950s, 1960s. Those are R800, and uh, I have not uh, found any of them in Russia. But uh, when I came to eBay, I found uh, two radio stations in Poland. So I ordered uh, both of them, <laughs> and the seller sent me them by usual mail, and uh, I was lucky. They were delivered uh, perfectly. And how you deliver, like, for example, like a, an aircraft seat? I mean, <laughs> you send it by post. Ah. <laughs> how, how you get it delivered? I mean, you get like <laughs> 10, you said you mentioned like 10 aircraft seats. Yes, 10 aircraft seats, but uh, it was easier. Okay. Some people from, uh, some graduates of uh, Glider Club told me that uh, there are some, th there were some seats uh, in one of uh, our institutes okay. in Akadem Garadok. Okay. So I wrote to administration of that institute and uh, I just agreed with them that uh, they would uh, give me these two seats, <laughs> these, uh, these 10 seats. Well, at least that was locally, so you didn't need to take them from, from far away. So this, you, you've been making this since 2009, so you've been yes. 11 years working on this. On this mm -hmm. What's the status now? What's the situation with the plane? I think that, uh, do you mean uh, the completion? What, uh, yeah, what's the completion level at the moment? Mm -hmm. Where are you in, uh, in terms of completion? I think that uh, nowadays uh, cockpit is about uh, 90% or, or even 95% complete. But uh, of course uh, I have uh, much, much work to do with the uh, cabin mm -hmm. and with other equipment. So since we want uh, to get uh, most of uh, airplane structures back to life, also we have to deal with some uh, hard uh, problems, for example, problems of uh, corrosion in some places, problems of uh, finding uh, some absent uh, rods, mm -hmm. some uh, electrical mechanisms, for example, uh, to extract and retract uh, flaps, some electrical mechanisms were used, but um, Unfortunately, they were vandalized in the 1990s, and nothing uh, is left of them. Are you going to look after the e external part of the aircraft? Mm. <laughs> Fortunately, fuselage is complete. Okay, but, but uh, uh, some uh, but uh, uh, some lights need to be repaired or replaced, uh -huh. and of course uh, I'll look for them. But uh, now I think it's uh, too early to talk about it because. Um, there is huge amount of uh, mm -hmm. work of uh, repairing inside the plane. Also, some equipment from uh, the cockpit needs repairing. And what's the goal when you get to 100% completion? Uh, well, you get visits already, but uh, you're planning to keep it as a sort of a permanent exhibition or something like that? Mm, actually, uh, I want to bring this plane to the to as good state as possible so of course uh, my dream is to make it flying mm -hmm. that and, would uh, be I also, 
I also want to believe that sometimes uh, some uh, miracles happen <laughs> and uh, sometimes uh, we can participate in uh, creating uh, such miracles. <laughs> so there's uh, no limits to perfection, I think. <laughs> but uh, yes, the nearest uh, goal is to make it uh, to make a museum where everything uh, works. So when do you think it's going to be completed? Well, it's possibly never going to be fully, fully completed, but when mm -hmm. do you can call it like 99.9% .9 completed? <laughs> do you have a time frame for this? No, I, and I think uh, the time frames are unpredict unpredictable. I can but, imagine. Uh, but uh, however, um, recently I met some uh, people, some of them are from Russia, some of them are from Europe, and they have a great experience of successful restoration projects. And they suggested me assistance in my Tupoli 104 project. So in yeah. particular, probably we will arrange some fundraising. I wanted to ask you about this because I remember when I wrote this article, it was published on CNN, shortly after I got contact by someone in America mm -hmm. that uh, was asking for a way to reach you out. Uh, I think he wanted to provide some financial support for the project. I mm -hmm. don't know if, if that uh, finally materialized or you have, well, as you said, you have also... Uh, yeah, but uh, we are also working on it. Okay. But uh, probably uh, current time was not ideal time uh, for do fundraising in the years since uh, because of... Uh, pandemic problems. Mm -hmm. But if if, uh, so if someone wanted to contribute to this project in some way, mm -hmm. what would be the best way to do it? You have a website, I think you have a Facebook group for the... Yes, I have a Facebook group. I also have an Instagram account and I have also an account on Russian social network vk.com. So, so the name is TU104A. Yeah. So on Instagram, on the Facebook groups, also the name is uh, TU104A. Okay. Yes. In any case, yeah. I'm gonna post the links to the to the show notes on All Plain uh -huh. TV, so that everyone that is interested can check it out and contact you if uh, they want to contribute in any way. Are people able to visit this aircraft now? Um, do they need to contact you? Do they need to contact the airport at Bersk or the glider club? What's the, what's the way to do it? Mm -hmm. The best way to visit the aircraft uh, is to contact me. Okay. To DM me or to write me on uh, WhatsApp. Okay. Because uh, I am the only person who has uh, keys from the cockpit. I'm going to post the link so, so that they can find uh, those pages. Just to wrap it up, do you have any other aviation projects at the moment, apart from the 104? Oh, no, I don't, don't have. <laughs> You're fully, fully committed, well, fully committed to that aircraft. Yes, I uh, fully committed to this aircraft, but uh, I also have to work much on my main uh, place of work. And uh, it's, uh, also, I can mention uh, a group of enthusiasts from Krasnoyarsk who made uh, a big uh, flight simulator from a real cockpit of uh, Tupoli 154. I often visit uh, Krasnaya because of my uh, work. I'm yeah. a member of a committee that deals with um, PhD thesis. 
in the Siberian Federal University, also am head of examining committee in Siberian Federal University. So I visit Krasnoyarsk very often. And uh, each time I visit Krasnoyarsk, I go to them and uh, fly that uh, big simulator. Krasnoyarsk is another big city in Siberia. Yes, another big city, and uh, yeah. it's also it also in it uh, takes only one uh, hour of flying to get from Novosibirsk to Krasnoyarsk. So Actually, yeah, it's not very far. <laughs> Actually, I must say that um, Krasnoyarsk was mentioned in a previous episode of this podcast because uh -huh. we we had uh, here on the podcast a conversation with. Um, guys from the Alsip route, which are some American guys that are uh, planning to run an air route flying from Alaska, actually mm -hmm. from, I think from Montana, and then via Alaska to Siberia and all the way to Krasnoyarsk, mm -hmm. with, uh, some mm -hmm. vintage planes. So I'm going to post a link as well on the notes so that people can check this podcast, is the Alsip route. And that's a celebration, a commemoration of the air corridor that was during the war between Alaska and the Soviet Union, bringing planes from America to Europe for mm -hmm. the war. And Krasnoyarsk was a city that was at one end of that road. So yeah, an interesting, an interesting city. And one where actually people can also see a vintage plane. It's, I think it's a former C-47, also from that time, from the time, oh. I think right after the war, it's a plane that was in, in the that crash landed in the north of Russia, in the Arctic. Oh, I saw it, I saw it. Yes, I wrote an article for CNN about this because I think a couple of mm -hmm. years ago, they recovered this plane, they salvaged it, mm -hmm. and they, there was a whole expedition to recover this plane. And they, they brought it actually by boat through the river all the way to Krasnoyarsk. And mm -hmm. I think now it's at the museum there. So I'm gonna post as well a link to that story so that people can, can check it out. Because there seems that Siberia is a very rich area for aviation stories. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you, you need to move by plane, right? So uh, the distances are so, so large. Everyone is a bit of an aviator. Well, it's been great talking today with you about this project. Wishing you all the best with the remaining tasks you have ahead before you complete the restoration of these Tupolev 104. I'm gonna put all the details on the show notes. Please do check it out because it's a, it's a super cool aircraft and it's a super cool project that you are doing. I don't know if you want to add anything else, any other message for people that are listening. Well, may I add something about um, the restoration of uh, cockpit? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... As I, okay, so as I said that uh, some uh, equipment is the same uh, as on uh, aircrafts that uh, fly nowadays, but uh, most of equipment is uh, very specific and uh, many systems, for example, uh, landing system, yeah. it uh, consists of uh, several parts. So there are indicators, uh, receivers, some remote controls and uh, all the parts I bought in different places. Mm -hmm. So even mm -hmm. both indicators, one I bought in one place, one in another. <laughs> it, uh, this situation uh, happened uh, with almost uh, all uh, systems of uh, Tupoli 104. And are you and now I, looking, are you looking for a specific part now? 
you can use this platform I'm to looking ask. for specialists. <laughs> uh, now I'm looking for specialists that uh -huh. uh, deals with some specific parts. It was a surprise for me that uh, Topoli 104 could be guided uh, by uh, sun, moon and stars. So it had uh, astronomical navigational equipment. Of course, it's extremely rare nowadays. And uh, only last in last year, in the November of uh, nine, of in the November of uh, twenty nineteen, I found astronomic chronometer, and uh, in uh, June, in this June, I found uh, a sextant uh, that worked together with uh, with this astronomic chronometer. The seller sent it me from Latvia. Like all ships, yeah, they yes. navigate by the stars. Yes, yes. Moreover, there were two different uh, there were two different uh, astronomic compasses on the Bali 104 with uh, different uh, principles uh, of work. But this uh, sextant that was sent from Latvia is huge. Its uh, weight is about uh, 30 kilograms. 40. Uh, 30. 30. Wow. 30. But it's very heavy. Mm -hmm. But uh, since there are lots of lenses, lots of glass in it, most of it uh, need needs uh, repairing so now i'm looking uh, for specialists who can help me with the uh, repair and we maybe with uh, producing some new parts maybe with uh, repairing the existing parts it's quite <laughs> well if, if any if any specialist is listening now you know <laughs> contact maria you can uh, then discuss this part of the project very good so thank you so much maria it's been great oh, speaking with you learning about the project and uh, yeah keep me updated when the plane is got some significant milestones and we can post it on all plane tv as well oh thanks a lot surely surely i'll let okay. you know as soon thank as you. i have some progress okay great thank you so much and thank you also and one more thing before you go remember you can subscribe to the all plane podcast on apple podcasts on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other platforms. If you like this podcast, please do not hesitate to give it a good rating or to recommend it to a friend. See you soon.